confused by finances, investing, estate and retirement planning? Well, we went to school so you don't have to. Welcome to Finances and with Kathy and Norma. Welcome to Finances and IRAs. We went to school so you don't have to. I'm Norma and I'm here with Kathy. Today we wanted to talk about IRAs, what they are, what the potential tax advantages are, and how to open one. So an IRA is commonly known as an individual retirement account, and it'll either give you tax advantages now or later, depending on the account that you choose. You can have a few depending on the situation, on your situation, which we'll go over. And once the money is in that account, you can invest in stocks, bonds, and other assets within that account. How much you earn actually depends on how you invest. The recommendation is that you invest in less risky investments, such as bonds, the closer you are to retirement. And you can start withdrawing without penalty at 59 and a half. So while there are four main types, which we'll go over, there are actually nine in total. Some other little facts about it, this individual retirement arrangement, or again, commonly known as an account, you're going to be choosing stocks and bonds to prepare for your retirement. And as Norma just said, you start off generally with more stocks than bonds, the farther you are away from retirement and start switching into safer investments of bonds. If you stay too safe in the beginning, you're not able to take advantage of that time and have your money grow as well. You're going to be able to create an IRA if you or your spouse works so that you have money to contribute to the IRA. There is an annual contribution limit of $6,000 a year. Unless you're over 50, then you are welcome to use something called a catch-up, and that allows you to put in an additional $1,000 for a total of $7,000. You can contribute to an IRA even if you are already doing a 403B or a 401K as well. You'll need to withdraw your money, as Norma said, not before 59 and a half unless you want to pay some penalties. The difference between an IRA and a 401k or 403b is that your employer offers one of the 401s or 403bs and the IRA you're going to open as an individual, hence the individualized, on your own. You can open up an IRA at a bank or through a broker. There's, you know, Vanguard or E-Trade or something like that. And before you choose a provider, you need to ask yourself how involved you want to be in the management of your investments. So if you want to choose them yourself, an online brokerage is a good way to go. If you need help managing it, you can consider what they call a robo-advisor, which is the service that chooses low-cost and risk-appropriate investments for you. Once you've chosen a provider, all you need to do is provide your social, your birth date, your contact information, and your employment details, and you can easily open one online. You can add money whenever you want, just sporadically or systematically, maybe just you know $50 a week or you know whatever it is that you choose, and that money will grow in that account. Expenses, the money that you're putting into your IRA can be subtracted from your gross, which means before taxes income. This helps lower the amount of money that you would owe for taxes and so that money is not being taxed, what you're putting in there. So for a Roth IRA, there's an income cap, which basically means if you make too much money, you cannot contribute to a Roth. So you need to make sure that you're checking the income limits for the appropriate year. I do know right now for the Roth due to COVID, they've actually extended the deadline for being able to contribute for the year before, which is really nice. It's usually April 15th and they've extended it to July. If you contribute up until July 15th, you can actually have it applied to your 2019 contribution limit. And then you can contribute more for your 2020 if you want. 
the income limits basically prevent higher earners from contributing to that Roth, unless you do a backdoor Roth, which we'll go over in a few minutes. You cannot deduct these contributions. So basically, these are after-tax contributions to this account. But your money also grows tax-free. So you never owe taxes on the gains. So whatever you earn in that account, you're not paying taxes on. Since you've already paid taxes on what you've contributed and you don't have to pay taxes on what you earn, when you withdraw the money in retirement, you're not paying taxes again. So that that's that's all yours. You can actually withdraw. There's some flexibility on how you withdraw. There's new rules now actually can withdraw for education. But what's nice about the Roth is that you can actually withdraw the money that you contributed at any time without any penalty. A traditional IRA, you can contribute, as we said earlier, up to $6,000 per year, unless you're older than 59 and a half, then you can do the catch up and it allows you to put an additional $1,000 in. You can imagine if you're going to retire around 72, that's going to give you an additional $12,000 over that time if if you're doing the catch up. The contributions that you make can reduce your taxable income in the year that you made that contribution. So for example, if you contributed $6,000 and your annual gross income would then go down by $6,000, which could help lower your tax bill in April. When you take money out at retirement, that's when you're taxed on a traditional IRA. The idea is that by retirement, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. And so you'll be paying less in taxes. That, that's the thinking. It, it's not always true, but that's the thinking behind it. If you are retired, you're going to take money out. So let's say you take out $2,000. That is going to be taxed in the next year as $2,000 of income. So you're going, to, you're going to see that at that point as income to you. Unless there's an exception, and for right now, the time we're at right now with 2020, the CARES Act is an exception to this, but generally there is not an exception, you're going to be taxed on your distribution and pay a 10% withdrawal penalty if you take it out before 59 and a half. So if you were to remove $20,000, you're going to be taxed at your nominal, which is your regular tax rate, and you're going to pay a $2,000 penalty. So again, that's not the case right now, but that is traditionally the case. There's no income cap on making a deposit into your IRA account. Anybody can do it and put, again, up to that maximum $6,000 or $7,000, depending on your age. As the money grows, you're not going to pay any taxes on that growth until you retire when you take that money out. However, for your taxes, when you're putting your your $6,000 maximum in, the ability to deduct it from your taxes is dependent on your income. If you're single or head of household and you're making less than $65,000, if you're married filing jointly, making less than $104,000, or if you're married filing separately, making less than $10,000, then you can deduct the full amount that you put into your IRA. Then you're not going to get any deduction if you're single and making more than $75,000, married filing jointly, making more than $124,000, or married filing separately, making greater than $10,000. The income between those two numbers, you can take a partial deduction and the format you're using will help you understand what amount you can take out as a deduction. So another kind is called a SEP IRA. SEP stands for Simplified Employee Pension. These are great for small business owners or someone who's self-employed. It offers a tax deduction on your contributions. 
Your savings also grows tax deferred, which means you pay taxes later. Withdrawals in retirement are taxed at regular income tax rates. So you get taxed at whatever your tax rate is at that point that you're withdrawing when you retire. If you have eligible employees, you need to contribute to their accounts at the same rate that you contribute to your own. So if you're saving 10% of your own pay, then you have to contribute the same to theirs. They can't contribute to their own, generally speaking. The good thing about this is that there's a maximum annual contribution of, in 2020, $57,000. So it's a really huge, you know, contribution as compared to some of the other ones where it's, you know, five or $6,000. The only thing is, is that you can't contribute more than 25% of your compensation. There's another kind of plan called a SIMPLE, stands for Savings Incentives Match Plan for the Employer. And this can be set up for small businesses with less than 100 employees. It's an easy thing for an employer to set up and employers are required to contribute the plan, just like the SEP was that she mentioned. Employees can contribute up to $13,500 this year in 2020, and they have an additional catch-up of $3,000 if you're older than 50, which would give you a possible contribution of $16,500 a year. What employees contribute, though, will reduce your taxable income on your growing tax-deferred account. So you're going to be able to reduce that as part of your taxable income if your company offers a simple plan. So the other kind is a backdoor Roth. And this one's actually quite interesting. It's a way to be able to contribute to your Roth if you exceed income limits. You basically take your traditional IRA which again, you pay taxes on when you retire and you convert it to a Roth. So now you pay taxes on it now, right? The thing about this is that you want to kind of time this when your account is low, like March when the market was down was a really good time to convert your traditional into a Roth. Now we're we're in June right now and the market's doing very well. Not a good time to <laughs> to try to do the backdoor Roth. So again, you want to time it because right now with the market being up, you're going to pay higher taxes because you've got more in your account. So the less you have in your account, obviously, you're going to be paying lower taxes than when you have more. A backdoor Roth is actually something that you can do, but highly encourage you to talk to some kind of an accountant professional of some type, because just like Norma said, it's a matter of timing everything right, or you're going to lose money, or you're going to pay extra money in taxes. So it's a, it's a, it's a possibility. Probably don't want to just do that on your own. Another kind of IRA is spousal. What happens if I stay at home and I'm not working. I can contribute to an IRA and that's via the fact that your spouse is working. And so that since that money is jointly yours, you can also contribute to your own IRA. You can open your account in your own name. As it turns out, IRAs can only be opened in a single name. It's not held jointly. And in, so in this way, the non-working spouse is able to set up a traditional or Roth IRA based on the income of their spouse that's working. You're going to have to file your taxes jointly to have a spouse IRA. So you're not going to be able to do it as a single and you're not going to be able to do it as married, but filing singly. It can be Roth or traditional, and it will also allow you to put that $6,000 in. And 
honestly, for all of these IRAs, if you're putting in $6,000 a year at a 5% return, which is not a huge return, but it's a good return, and it's in there for over 30 years, we're talking about over $400,000 if if you're putting this in. So $6,000 for those 30 years is going to earn you over $400,000. A self-directed IRA is the next one. And basically... IRAs are are pretty much all self-directed in a sense. You're picking what you want in those investment vehicles. But self-directed basically means that you can choose investments that are not necessarily so common, like real estate or privately held company. So if you want to have one of those where you really are in the driver's seat as far as what you're choosing, you're going to have to find a broker that will allow you to have this self-directed IRA. They're not so common. They're not so easy to find. So you're going to have to do a little research to find that kind of broker. But again, this is just, I mean, if you really know what you're doing and you really want to do, you know, put real estate in there, then this might be the option for you. The last... IRA that I researched was called inherited. And this is also called a beneficiary IRA. And based on your relationship with the deceased, it will it will change your tax bill that might come with this IRA. Beneficiary or inherited IRA, you cannot add to it. Once that person has died, that it's done accepting any money. However, if I was to receive one of these, I could roll it over into my own IRA. I just could not continue to contribute to it at the state it is because, again, it's in another person's name. The SECURE Act did make the change that non-spousal benefits, you must take all the money out of a non-spousal IRA within 10 years. So I could just leave it alone to grow, but within 10 years, I would have to have taken the money out of that. The tax treatment on this kind of IRA is going to be based on whether it's a Roth or traditional. So again, it matters what you're being bequeathed. And the required minimum distribution, which means the amount that you have to take out of an IRA, was raised to 72 in 2019 because of the SECURE Act. It used to be 70 and a half, so now it's at 72. You have 60 days after you receive a distribution from this inherited IRA and roll it into your own IRA as long as it was not a required minimum distribution from the IRA. So if you're just trying to liquidate the IRA and put it into yours, you're welcome to do that. and You have to do it within 60 days. If the original owner's required minimum distribution, you must continue to receive that same required minimum distribution, again, up until those 10 years have passed. Or you can change it into your own IRA, and then it will be on the schedule based on your life expectancy. Now, what happens if I inherit an IRA, but I'm not the spouse? That changes some of the rules for it. I have to move it into my own IRA, and I can take out a lump sum payment if I would like to. The SECURE Act did say that non-spousals must cash out the account within those 10 years. The only thing that would keep that from being true is if you're within 10 years of the age of the deceased person, if you're disabled, if you're chronically ill, or if you were a minor child of the IRA owner, not a grandchild, but one of their children, then you could take longer than those 10 years to take that out. You can also have a rollover IRA. A rollover IRA is basically when you've transferred your money from your 401k into an IRA. When would you do this? You do this, you know, after you leave a job. Let's just say most of the money that you have in a 401k is invested in that particular company stock and you no longer want to participate in that. What you can do is like, again, just transfer the money into a rollover IRA. 
let's just say you've had a couple of jobs, at least this will give you the opportunity to have everything all in one place, as opposed to trying to have to remember all the different logins and all the different brokerage places that have your money. So what's nice about this is that um, it keeps your money safe from taxes if you do it right. You don't want to withdraw the money and hold on to it because you will get taxed on it. So it has to be a rollover. And lastly, and not so common IRA is called the IRA savings account. This is basically a regular savings account, except it's a retirement savings account. You can actually have it in there uh, with a CD that'll have a little better rates than your regular savings or a higher yield savings. But again, this will be safe in that retirement account and it'll earn more money than just sitting in a regular savings account. So when you set one up, you can actually have a choice of setting it up as traditional or Roth. And again, just contact your local bank on that and they should be able to help you with that. So some other quick facts are you cannot put money into someone else's IRA for them. Again, it's based on the income of that person. So if you only made $2,000 this year, you could only put $2,000 into your IRA. I couldn't have someone give me an additional amount of money and, and contribute to it. In addition to that, you actually have to have a job. You have to be employed to contribute to an IRA. You actually have to have income. Unless you're the spouse. And then if the spouse, you could use their income to contribute to it. So for example, so for example, if you don't have a job and you're not married, you would not be able to put money into an IRA. Kids, however, can start an IRA as soon as they get their very first job. So as a as a 16-year-old, if you earn $3,000, you would be able to put up to $3,000 into your first IRA. As we already said, IRAs can't be owned jointly. There is no minimum contribution, by the way. You could put $4 into an IRA if you would choose to do that. Any amount is good enough for starting it. The last thing that we didn't talk about was watch out for fees for an IRA, because even with only 1% in fees over 30 years, that can lower the income that you make by over 30%. So it's important that when you're looking at fees, that you're considering of the fact that you are going to be paying those fees and it's going to reduce the amount of money you're going to be able to take out of it at some point. Thanks for listening to Finances and IRAs. We know you chose to listen today and we're grateful. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share, and review. It helps us get listeners and it makes it easier for others to find us as well. Please let us know what you think on Facebook or by going to our website at financesand.net. Finances and does not provide tax or legal advice and nothing in this podcast is to be construed as such. Always consult a tax, accounting, or legal professional for advice on your specific situation. Remember, we went to school so you don't have to. 